Hi, this is Navigating Life as We Know It, a podcast about celebrating ability, embracing diversity, and living inclusively. I'm your host, Steve Johnson, and with me today is my co-host, Carrie Johnson. Hello. You may recall recently that we had a three-part interview on the life of Bill Rush and Christine Robinson, kind of going through their book, Our Life, Our Way. Well, just recently, I was contacted by Christine about another individual who played a role in, in Bill's life, a man named John McGill. And John is more of a contemporary of Bill. And I really wanted to interview him because he had a very interesting and fascinating perspective on Bill Rush and his life. And so today we're going to talk about what that looked like. What that looked like from the perspective of someone who was more of a contemporary of Bill's at that time. Yeah, same age, sort of a thing. Yeah. Cool. Before we begin the interview with John McGill, I want to apologize in advance for some corruption in the recording, which we didn't discover until the edit process. The problem corrected itself shortly after the interview began. Thanks, and enjoy our conversation with John McGill. John, what I want to do was pick your brain about what you remember about Bill Rush and how you interacted with him. You worked for Nebraska's Division of Vocational Rehab? I did. Yeah, I was, uh, Bill Bill and I had a couple of touch points. Um, You know, if you're familiar with his book, he had a number of friends at Omaha Westside High School. That's where I grew up, was in Omaha, Nebraska. And so... um, uh, Mark Rubin and Tom Tom uh, Tom Taxman and Deanne, you know Bill's first real love interest. Um, they yeah. all went to West Side as well, and so that was kind of our first touch point. And then um, I went to the University of Missouri, which was when Bill started thinking about going to college. That was you know the, that was the place he looked to first because were uh, really miles ahead in terms of barrier-free design and a campus that was accessible to um, um, students with relatively severe uh, physical disabilities, paraplegics as well as uh, quadriplegics. And we're talking in the 70s, and, right? Yeah. That's pretty far-reaching. I mean, the, nobody was thinking about accessibility, it seems, in the 70s. That's really quite amazing. No, nobody really was, but Missouri was an interesting school, and I, and I went there specifically because I, I wanted to be a, a rehabilitation counselor. Yeah. And they uh, had an undergraduate as well as an extensive graduate program, and uh, and they backed it up by, you know, being really on the leading edge, if you will, of barrier-free design. Now, that doesn't mean that every building on campus was barrier-free, but, but, you know, they had certainly taken an interest in it. And as a result, there were probably, oh, I'm going to guess several dozen um, students with pretty severe disabilities on campus. You saw them wheeling around you know, all over. Now, when you went to the University of Nebraska, Bill stood out, a very unique individual. And in between my sophomore and junior year, I came back to Nebraska and did a summer internship with the uh, Voc Rehab office there. I was just a young, naive Voc Rehab 
counselor wannabe, um, I ended up going with a counselor to the uh, school where Bill was attending. He was, uh, I just think, finishing his junior year of high school. And he wanted to start talking about going to college. And that's how we first met. Um, that would have been 1975. Yeah, the thing I, the thing I, I, I remember thinking about Bill as the two of us drove back to the office was, number one, the, the, the guy is humorous. I mean, he really has a yes. good sense of humor. He sounded like he did. But with Bill, uh, he didn't have a can-do attitude. He had a, for lack of a better term, in, in Bill's mind, there was, there was never a doubt that he was going to succeed at something that he wanted to do. Wow. So it wasn't a can-do attitude. It was, when do we get started? I can do this kind of an attitude. Now, privately, he probably was scared to death, but he never let on because he well, knew that if he showed even the slightest amount of hesitation, People might take that as an opportunity to say, yeah, I guess we can't really do that. And I remember that from the very first time I met him, and he was uh, he, he was profound in that way. And he had he had great parents. I would learn later. I, I got to know his parents and his and his family, and the teachers there at the J.P. Lord School were were just phenomenal. They were the right combination of encouraging but practical also. And uh, I, I know where he got some of the uh, characteristics that, that really defined him as a, as an adult and as a, as really a, a, a wonderful human being. Well, it's amazing that how much can be picked up at a young age by parents and the people that believe in you. And he had enough people around him believing in what he could do that he didn't have it in him to believe that he couldn't. But I, yeah, I understand yeah. there there would be some fear there and, and maybe some righteous anger once in a while when people assumed that he couldn't do some things or they would do it for him. And that, I know it, from what the people I've talked to, it really used to irritate him. <laughs> don't, don't speak <laughs> for Bill because he will still, he'll, uh, he'll yell over your voice. Um, yeah. <laughs> But still a very compassionate human being, too. I think he really cared for yeah, individuals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Strong faith and uh, really remarkable. He, um, I remember that first meeting, and I, I remember, you know, 1975 was people were just kind of starting to wake up to the idea that, you know, people like Bill um, could, could certainly do more than, you know, what, what the – path was that had been laid out for the majority of people younger than Bill yeah, or older than Bill, I should say. And so, but there was still some skepticism and I, and I remember his, I, I knew his voc rehab counselor. Well, his name was Bob Gellner and Bob was a very compassionate New Yorker of all places. And, and yet he was a kind of, he had that sort of practical sense about him that said, yeah, I, I, I know, that Bill really wants to go to school, but have you really thought about what that's going to take? And, and of course I was young and naive yeah. and, and I, I was used to seeing kids as disabled as Bill tooling around campus uh, and on the Columbia campus yeah. with, with no hesitation. 
And so we had lots of conversations about it. And, and I think Bob and I both learned a great deal from Bill um, just because he was so confident in what he wanted to try. We, uh, you know, we talked to him and told him there wasn't much we could do until he graduated from high school, but we'd stay in touch and uh, we'd do everything we could to, you know, uh, help him with his dream of going to college. That fall, when it was time for me to go back to school, um, I was offered a job by the state agency in Nebraska, the um, uh, Rehabilitation Act of 73 and Section 504 had set aside funds for individual ombuds people mm-hmm. in each state agency that were, you know, were independent of voc rehab, but had a responsibility to make sure that people like Bill understood their rights and the services that were available to them and participated in their own rehabilitation program planning and then and then help them with anybody that got in their way. I, I was a you know I was a permanent employee at that time. By the time then Bill uh, came around to the spring and we started talking about how is it going to be that you know we we go to school. And his first hurdle was he wanted to go to the University of Missouri, but in Nebraska you, you couldn't do that unless the parents paid for his outstate tuition. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then he talked about going to UNO and, uh, remember his parents were adamant about him not going to UNO because they wanted him to live on campus and be a normal college student, which I thought was really cool on their part. It was very forward thinking, <laughs> very forward thinking. And, uh, and so that, you know, we started putting together, uh, uh with Bill's direction, of course, a, a plan for how do, how do we make this happen? And it started with you know, meeting with people at the university who were, uh, I want to be kind, but the easiest way to say it is they were shocked and really taken back by Bill's appearance and and uh, the, the level of, of his disability and how in the, how in the heck, for lack of a better term, yeah. are, you know, could this possibly work? You know, the first meeting or so was, you know, relatively cordial. I would say a little bit condescending, but then I think, then I think we had to start playing a little bit of hardball with them. And Bill was a, you know, was, was, <laughs> was great at being sort of the bad cop because he knew what he wanted. And, uh, and, and I was a guy who kind of understood what the university was up against because the, the law said, you don't have a choice. And so let's, uh, let's, let's figure out how to get this done. And they were as helpful as they could be, but um, they they certainly weren't in a position at that point in time to really take the kind of strides that they needed to take because they I don't know that anybody in the administration at that time really really knew what that looked like. So getting Bill into a, a dorm room and helping set up uh, his own attendance, which he really had to do on his own. And then, uh, of course, the, one of their stipulations was that, you know, he had to be able to get around in a wheelchair that he could control by himself. And so that was, uh, that was a whole other challenge. Bill never lacked confidence when it came in as he got, you know, as he got 
more familiar with what the what the laws required, you know, he could he could certainly hold his own in a in a conversation about what what needed to have happen. We can either do this the hard way, or we can do this the, the friendly way, where you guys could actually get great publicity for for doing the right thing. He was actually quite a good salesperson for for the. Oh company. man, yeah, he, he he could phrase. I I feel like I know him to a certain degree, although I never met him, but having interviewed a number of people that interacted with him and having read the book and also his first book, uh, Journey Out of Silence, he had that very, very gifted ability to take something and present it in a way that it was really hard for someone to say no. And he'd give yeah. them all the reasons why they should be shaking their head yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> remarkable human being. And and he had a compassion about him. And, and I don't ever remember a bitterness about Bill, although... Frankly, he had lots of reasons to be angry and to be bitter and lots of reasons to be frustrated. But what I remember about Bill most was that he was compassionate. Um, he was, uh, like you said, very skilled. He, but he also was a, was a friendly guy. And so he, he made friends. He made friends on campus. People knew him. I think people anywhere you walked around campus, you'd, you'd say, well, you know, that's, that's Bill Rush. Yeah, I got the impression uh, people were proud to be his friend, you know, that, um, yes. And uh, he probably had some, obviously, that were more, uh, superficial, but, uh, apparently yeah. he made some very good friendships that lasted a very long time. Again, I think, you know, we we're talking about how good of a salesperson he was, but it was always for a righteous cause, you know, it wasn't, uh, yeah. it wasn't manipulation whatsoever. It was always for a righteous cause. And it benefited well, not think, just him. And I, I think it was kind of like what you were saying about the relationship that you have with your own son, Steve, is that yeah. it was about Bill, but it was always more about everybody that came after him. He felt an obligation to every younger student at the J.P. Lord School that he was going to he was going to blaze a trail that that would make it easier for them to follow him. And he would take yeah. great pride in knowing that he had had something to do with their success. And and people yeah. behind him that would benefit from what he did, they might never know his name, and it didn't make any difference. It's just the fact that he made that's right. He made it a better future think, for them. And I think that legacy lives on to this day for people who will never know Bill and never know what what he did. You and, know, and he was okay with that, frankly. All because of his faith. He made his mark. He had a faith that said, I, I must do this because that's what God wants me to do. And yeah. I think yeah. he saw a, a great sense of mission in his life and purpose because of that. And it wasn't just uh, fighting back the odds to gain some grounds for himself. It was a matter, like you said, you blazing a path to make it more accessible to everyone. And that's, you can't hold someone like that back. They have too much energy. It drives them. Yeah, and I think that's also a, a mark of exceptional parenting. Yeah, um, yes. I, I used to lead a youth group um, uh, for for about ten years, and I don't. And it was middle and high school kids. I, I'd ask them every year if you could have just one wish, and you couldn't wish for more wishes. What would you wish for? And, uh, you know, the younger kids would talk about no school and no homework and, you know, silly yeah. things. And 
some of the older kids would get a little deeper and they talk about, you know, world peace and lack of hunger. And then they'd always get around to saying, well, you know, what would, what would you have wished for? And I said, I, I lived my dream. I would always wish for two exceptional parents. Yeah. And I'd always think of Bill because I would say, you know, you could live, if you had two exceptional parents, you could overcome any disability. You could overcome any, any financial difficulty because your parents would teach you how, how to, by their own actions and, and by their wisdom, how to, how to live with that and move beyond it. And uh, fortunately I had, two of those kind of parents, but Bill's parents, I, I really give them a lot of credit because they were exceptional parents to all their kids. And that, that really helped Bill become, I, it's unfortunate that Bill never was a parent himself. Yeah. <laughs> because I just wonder what, what amazing kids he and, uh, he and his wife. I think I had read where he wanted to have on his tombstone, a uh, father and husband. <laughs> Well, he got husband yeah, at least, yeah. but I, you know, I, I think what's amazing about his parents from doing my research and actually talking to people that they didn't coddle him. They had high, ex no. high expectations, but they didn't, uh, they didn't make life easy for him. They made it possible. And, and I think that's probably the greatest gift you can possibly give. And I know that a lot of parents and my being one of them for, for a special needs individual, you're trying to make life easier for them, and there's a point at which that is not, it's detrimental to them. And I think his right. parents were very realistic and made him self more self-reliant and believing in himself and his mission because of the yeah, support I mean, they gave. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, like, like it would have been easy for them to have him live at home while he went to college at the sure. University of Nebraska at Omaha. Yeah. And yet they said, that's not fair to Bill. We don't want that for Bill. Yep. Um, and that had to be a tough decision for a mom to make. Yeah. Yeah, I know as a father, I've told people I have two days that I'm looking forward to. One I'm looking forward to very much and one I dread. It's the same day. It's the day that he moves out. Um, yeah. I know it's yeah. important for him. I know it's it's necessary because we're getting older and uh, we deserve to have some freedom too. And, but he deserves yeah. to have more autonomy. Um, but yeah. on the other hand, I'll always be wondering, is he okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, And that's just yeah. the curse, the curse and blessing of being a parent. Uh, even I've got, we have four neurotypicals and you know, it was different, but not entirely different. Um, yeah. I, he did have amazing parents and, and some people have to overcome that and they do quite well, but it's probably more the exception than the rule. If you have, uh, if you have a people that don't believe in you when you're smaller, it's, it's hard to believe in yourself as you grow. Yeah. Parenting is so important and it's, it's almost become a lost art. Yeah. We've, we, uh, we farm it out to other people, you know, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. And I know you mentioned about you having good parents. I was raised by Ozzy and Harriet. Um, I had one brother, and I swear that we were right out of that. I mean, they had their imperfections, and they had their faults, and that makes them even more wonderful because, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's so important, and Bill was so lucky that way. Yeah. Unlucky in some other ways, but that was one 
area that he was he was truly blessed. I think it's uh, it's amazing that that people like the college they were kind of put off by his visual appearance and the disability. How often that happens that somebody makes those judgments and we have no idea. But it's not even a matter of how smart someone is. It's a human being. They have rights and they have yeah. they deserve to be treated with dignity and they deserve to be respected and they deserve to make the decisions for their own life as much as they possibly can with appropriate help. And that's really not a big ask, you know? One of the one of the lessons that I learned from Bill was that he was very adamant very early on of saying um, you don't ever call a person a handicapped person or a right. disabled person. They're a person first. Mm -hmm. And if it's important that you know something else about them, you can add that later. So I'm a person. I'm a, I'm a young man. I'm a human being who happens to have cerebral palsy, if that's important to the conversation. But he said, you know, if you stop and think about it, it's so rarely necessary in any conversation. And he said, yeah, okay, I know. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I know it makes the, the, uh, the text a lot longer. You know, a person with uh, cerebral palsy instead of a, of a disabled person. Yeah. But he said it's, it's the meaning of what's the most important. And the most important thing is that they're a human being first. And that's what you ought to acknowledge. And the more times you make it uncomfortable for people to say that, they're going to remember why. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I know of uh, an individual locally here who has a disability right on the same level with Bill. He's in a, in a wheelchair and he... He operates a, a speaking device with his with a toe. He, you know, I know Bill used with a head toe. stick with a toe. Yes, uh, one of his people around him told me one time that an individual had met him at the school. He went to Hope College and uh, was talking to his aide and said, "Well, how many words does he know?" And he typed out more than you. <laughs> 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 Which is, but I, I've, I've, I learned also this person that said, how many words does he know, ended up being a very good friend because he did it in a way that made an impression without putting the person yeah. down, but kind of, kind of slapped him a little bit upside the head. <laughs> and I yeah, think Bill had I the, think, Bill had the ability to do Bill that too. Bill was really good at it. I learned way more from him than, than he ever benefited from our friendship. You know, John, every person and, I talked to that knew him said the same thing. I learned so much thing. from him. Yeah. Uh, there was an attorney uh, that he worked with. I can't remember his name right now uh, for disability rights, uh, Nebraska or whatever they called the organization back in that time. And he said, I learned so much about disability and the law from Bill. And this guy was an attorney. Everybody <laughs> seems to learn more from Bill Rush than, uh, than the other way around. It's not like they, they helped him, but yeah. they helped him because what he wanted and what he needed was very reasonable, but they also learned so much about disability and rights and respect in humanity from Bill. And yeah. he was a great teacher. And I think the things that you said last there were the most important. They learned about humanity and they learned about uh, compassion. And, and in the process, they also learned about disability and and, uh, and 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 freedom of choice and some other things, but 
Bill uh, was truly, um, you know, a guy that his own actions were were much louder than anything he ever said. Yes. You know, was it St. Francis that said, preach the gospel every day and use words if necessary? And yeah. uh, Bill, Bill was that way, you know. He obviously couldn't speak, and it was difficult to have a conversation with someone, even with the voice synthesizer. But yeah. his actions, his determination, his uh, unwillingness to accept mediocrity inspired people just by by his actions. In John Wayne's day, they called that true grit, right, from the movie? <laughs> Bill Rush exactly. had true grit. He really did. Yeah. Well, anything yeah. else that you could uh, say that would en- enlighten us uh, more about Bill? I think you've covered a lot there, a lot behind the scenes. You know, I, he he just affected me in a in a profound way, and lessons that I learned um, being Bill's friend. You know, I. I I, I did that job for about four years, and then I uh, went back to school. I was actually back in college at the University of Nebraska when Bill was uh, in, in college. So we were in two different dorms, but um, okay. we were only uh, you know a quarter of a mile apart. And then after uh, after I graduated, I left Lincoln, and I never really went back. Um, and so I kind of lost track of Bill, but I, I never worried about him being successful and and meeting his dreams. Bill Rush had the kind of effect on me that I think about almost every day. Something sort of triggers my mind and says, I wonder where that came from. And I remember that Bill really had a profound impact on mine and the lives of so, so many people. He it's was like, here for a purpose. He, he lived that purpose. He was a blessing to many. And they were all fortunate for having known him and I only, my only regret is that I didn't know he and Christine, and I wished I would have. And I've told Christine that also. Have you met her? Since I've then? never met her, no. Okay. And I haven't either, We've obviously. But you're closer to her than I am because you're right outside of Detroit. <laughs> What's uh, that? She's, she's just in Canada around Toronto, so you're closer to her than I am. I'm, you know, you're probably, a, but, um, yeah. So someday I, someday I suspect that will probably happen. And, and maybe that's God's way of saying, here's your opportunity to, you know, take advantage of it. What I, my last question I was going to ask you is what do you think Bill Rush's legacy is? But I think we just kind of said it. The legacy is something that people might not trace back to Bill Rush. But there are those people that make those ripples in the pond that affect everybody else who don't know where the, the yeah. source of the ripples was. And that was okay because Bill didn't need a building with his name on it. Bill didn't need to have anything <laughs> that glorified him. As a matter of fact, I think he'd be embarrassed by that. But Bill just wanted to know that he did a good job. I have a friend a number of years ago, and I, I lived in Nebraska for a while. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah, I lived there from 19... 19- 92 to 1997 in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, okay. Um, but I had what, a friend. Um, on the east side of town, southeast, it was uh, Edenton South. In Lincoln, it's, okay. It's an interesting story because my oldest son retired from the Navy. He was a nuclear individual on a submarine, and now he's working at the Cooper's plant out 
in Nebraska. It's so funny. We have this thing that keeps bringing us back to Lincoln, Nebraska. I was born in Chicago, <laughs> but Lincoln, Nebraska seems to be calling us back all the time. So I'm going to be going back there to visit. And when I do, I'm going to look up some of the people at uh, First Baptist Church that I spoke with and, and uh, go and meet them just because I feel like I need to do that now. Bill's legacy is in that he has changed the landscape for a number of people. Um, and he's maybe increase the opportunities because he was out there and he was seen. And the biggest thing we had working against disability when I was a kid is I never saw them. They were someplace right. else. And now, now we have people with all types of disabilities living with us, working with us, being alongside of us because of the volunteer work I do with the nonprofit organization and the, the podcast and other involvement. I've gotten to know quite a few of them, and I think it's just tragic to think that they were ever sidelined because they have so much to offer. Yeah. If it's not in your immediate circle of friends, if it's not in your family, and you don't know someone with a disability, you look at them as being, well, they're they're different, you know, uh, they yeah. have a lot of difference, but yeah. they're different, and that doesn't make them any less human. So I agree with when Bill said there's no need to talk about the disability because we can sh should talk about the ability rather than right. the disability. But I think it'll always be that way to a certain extent, but you know, we can chip away at it over time. And we have a generation of people t today. My youngest son is 33 years old, 32 years old. Um, just a year younger than my son with a disability, Liam. And um, somebody in a wheelchair, it's not a problem. Or somebody with an yeah. obvious physical disability, not a problem. They get to know them. It's yeah. there. There is no issue, okay, with that generation. Yeah. But I just turned seventy, and like I said, growing up, all through college, I never saw somebody with a disability. I right. mean, so it was real eye opener, and I guess that's why it happened in my life that I have disability in my family because it makes me a righteous warrior for the rights of people <laughs> with disabilities and. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. That's that's you know that's not a coincidence either. You know that's that's God's plans. And and when I talk about you know the path that He forged, it was not only for people with disabilities. You know, pe people that knew Bill that were touched by him couldn't have walked away without having been profoundly changed in ways that they may not even recognize or understand these days. I'm, I'm eternally grateful for, uh, for Bill Rush because he changed me and my way of thinking and my way of behaving in, in ways that were profound and, and without even trying, you know? How can both sides not benefit when human beings get to find the commonality that they have regardless of their... Yeah physical status or, or even mental or yeah. emotional status in terms of ability, uh, we have much more in common. And he was a person that kind of leveled that field and had people respect each other. And he did it through his actions, yeah. not just through his words. The world is a better place because of Bill Rush. There's no doubt about it. You, you said you had great parents. I had great parents. And you think about who you are as a person today, and then you think of what were the influences that affected that in a, in a, in a, in a positive way. And you can't be anything but grateful that your paths were able 
to have crossed. You know, I start every day by, you know, saying a simple prayer. And that is, God, put somebody in my path today that either needs me or that, that I can be touched by. You're a product of, of, of people that you've met, that you've understood, that you've learned from. And as many have said, um, learned, learned way more from watching Bill, observing Bill, listening to Bill than I, than I ever had an impact on him. I'm, I'm humbled to have been his friend. That's a wonderful way to end this, I guess, because um, I, uh, I never met him, but he's changed my life. <laughs> well, I think, I think, number one, you, would have, you and he would have hit it off right away. And number two, I, I, I got to believe that your son is a pretty lucky young man as well. I appreciate you doing these podcasts. I uh, appreciate the fact that you're getting that word out about Bill. And, and people that have never met him are going to say, wow, I wish I would have. But you can, you can get a sense for who he is through your podcast, but also, you know, his books. And uh, Christine is... Uh, obviously a, a, a wonderful human as well for wanting to continue that legacy, which isn't just Bill, it's it's their legacy. It's their story. She's very much it's a part of it. Story. John, thank you much. Well, God bless you, and, uh, and, and thanks for what you do, and, and good luck with everything in your life. <laughs> thanks so much. Okay, you take care now. We'll talk again, Steve. Thank you. Yes. And welcome to the Chat Cafe portion of our podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Steve. Hi, how you doing? And we're just going to kind of recap a little bit about what John had to talk about. What a nice interview that was. You know, I got the impression uh, from talking with John, who is a very personable individual, that even though it's been decades since he knew Bill, there was still such a strong personal influence that Bill had brought in his life. Yes, he mentions that, and how wonderful. When he says, like, there's not a day goes by that I don't think about, well, where did that idea come from? Where did that inspiration come from? Nice. And it came from Bill Rush, from his knowing Bill Rush. And I think John's ability to be open-minded about what he was seeing and experiencing. You know, he was a fellow student at the same time. They were both on the campus of, of uh, University of Nebraska and Lincoln. Right. And, of course, John's experience at University of Missouri was that there was a much more uh, progressive attitude toward people with disabilities. They had quadriplegics right. and paraplegics. I know. He talks about dozens of students right. with disabilities in the 70s. Wow. And part of our discussion, you mentioned about something about there's a group of quadriplegics called the Rolling Quads, you know, which I <laughs> didn't make it into the interview, but I thought it was so funny. That is great. So when he went to the University of Nebraska, um, actually helping uh, Bill get acclimated there or get into well, the University uh, of talking about right. the, uh, opportunities in colleges. And, and from the conversation from individuals at UNL, they thought it was next to impossible to have someone with Bill's level of disability be able to be a student there. Mm -hmm. And, of course, John saw it working really well at University of Missouri. You know, it's like, 
why would it be so bad? You know? Exactly. It's interesting, exactly. interesting that he saw the negativity on one end and he saw positively how things work so well on the other end of it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, it so it was very unique. And then, of course, that he was close in proximity to the same age as Bill and probably understood Bill as a contemporary better than most other older administrators Advisors. of a college would. Yeah. Right. So right. It's, it's just a very interesting perspective. Nice. And he uh, he talks very affectionately about about knowing Bill and the influence that Bill had in his life. And I could tell that all these years later, decades and decades later, it still was something very sincere that impact for John. Is still there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So very it sounds mm. to me like that would be something that's um would make Bill very proud. I think so. Everything that John had to say kind of reinforced what other folks had said that were involved in Bill's life. But that Bill really was just motivated to do the right things for the right reasons. Through Bill's compassion and humility, people learned about disabilities and freedom of choice. Absolutely. Bill oh, didn't have a can-do was... attitude. He had a when-do-we-get-started-I-can-do-this attitude, which that, is like... <laughs> you know what? That really touches my, my mom's heart and my warrior uh, for my kid's heart of he can do it if you give him the opportunity and why are you limiting him when he's not? <sighs> yeah. How cool. Very I mean, cool. if anybody... He had some kind of personal justifications for assuming a victim mentality. It may have been Bill Rush because of the severity of his disabilities, but the nature of his upbringing and his parents in his absolute can-do attitude. And their encouraging yet practical attitude of him. Everything that went into the nurturing of Bill Rush was rather remarkable. Unfortunately remarkable. It should be more commonplace, but he was very blessed to have the parents he did and to meet the other people in his life that helped him. I like that he was, um, some of the touchstones that he remembers is that uh, Bill was a very good teacher. You know, as I said, it was through Bill's compassion and humility that he was a good teacher and I kind of was chuckling in my head because that's one of the things my mother said to me several times when I get frustrated she'd say Carrie if these people frustrate you then it's your job to teach them about this disability you know that that's your job right. then you you get to be the teacher here it's not always a fun fun time to have that job Bill taught through his actions. He did? He taught through his, his positive expectancy of life and what he knew that he could accomplish if people would give him the opportunity. Absolutely. My favorite part of the interview was John saying how Bill has changed his way of thinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just don't think there's a better gift out there to give people than that. He was adamant that his person first and a label second. If it's necessary. If it's necessary. <laughs> like, you mentioned cerebral palsy, if it's necessary. But if it's not really pertinent to the conversation, why put that label on an individual? Indeed. I certainly wish I had met Bill Rush. It's one of the beauties of uh, books is that you do get to uh, step into that world a little bit. And his books are done in such a delightful way. And if you haven't read them, 
By all means. Our Life, Our Way. It's written by William Rush and Christine Robinson, his wife. And uh, it was excellent. And also, Journey Out of Silence. There's one interview I wish I could have about Bill Rush, but it's not possible at this point. I would love to interview his parents. They both passed away, but their perspective on the childhood and the adolescence and the adult years of Bill Rush would have been very amazing because they must have been amazing people that they raised their son with the expectations that they did without coddling, but still with a great deal of love. Um, They wanted him to be in the dorm with people, students, not at UNO, where he would be able to stay home and go to school. They want him to be in Lincoln, to where he could actually that. experience life. Right. A little bit more on the raw side, but I would love to have interviewed his parents. How were they able to do that? Because as parents, I'm sure that they had the same aching in their heart about their son and his that future. That we all do. Exactly. What right. will it be like for him later on? Uh, right. How can we make this easier but let him be who he is and accomplish what he needs to accomplish? Right. Well, and for them, really, it really truly was, how do we blaze this trail? Exactly. How do we help him blaze I, I w- the trail? I would want to know, you know, things like, how did you keep your energy up? See, that's the, mm-hmm, Yeah. Yeah. How did the parents keep the energy up? So thank you for listening. If you have any comments or suggestions, please always, it's contact at nlawki.com, contact at nlawki.com. We would love to hear from you, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Steve and Carrie have been your hosts. My name is Alex, and I'm the producer of Enlocky. Daniela handles all of our social media and general communications, and Holly is our website guru and mistress of the blog. Thanks for tuning into our podcast, and please like, follow, subscribe, and share our podcast to help us grow. You're the best. This has been a production of Envision Media Group, LLC.